Hello, hello. Welcome to the Divide Podcast, episode four. I'm here with my good friends, uh, coming from the far future of Greenwich Mean Time plus one over in Sweden, Dr. John Wordsworth. Hello, hello. And uh, from the equally as beautiful Leicester, we have Commander Benjamin Dodson. Hello, hello. And I am, as always, Mr. Christopher Ford here down in Devon. Um, where it's a, it's a really grey, typically wintry day here. Or, uh, as my three-year-old would put it, who hasn't quite grasped how the weather works, it's a lovely sunny day. (laughs) (laughs) It's not minus two, though, is it? Oh, no. (laughs) That's warm, isn't it, in Sweden? Yeah, uh, well, for this time of year, it's a tiny bit warmer than it should be, but it's, you know, minus four this evening. That's global warming, you see. It's only minus two in Sweden. (laughs) Here it's Schrodinger's weather because I have my blackout curtains shut and my air conditioning on, so I've got no idea what it's like outside and I don't care. <laughs> you only care if it's raining so you can go and watch everyone get wet. <laughs> oh, I really do think that we should have a spin-off podcast where we just get Ben to talk about <laughs> he hates everything. Uh, <laughs> it would be really, really good. It'd be a grumpy, up, grumpy old Ben. Yeah, I don't really know what you or I would do on that podcast. We'd probably just chuckle away in the background. <laughs> I hate people that chuckle in the background. Yeah, okay, good. Um, I'll so, chuckle in the foreground. <laughs> so we are here. It's episode four. Um, what's particularly exciting is that um, unlike the last three episodes that we recorded, we are now recording this under the full um, awareness that our podcasts are making it into the iTunes store, which is really exciting. We recorded, uh, did a little batch recording of three, and um, they have finally gone live within the last within the last two weeks, and we are getting downloads, so that's fantastic. So thanks very much to everyone who's listening. We hope you're going to enjoy yet another fantastic episode today. Um, today we're going to be talking about a topic that is close to all of our hearts, I think, which is getting into code uh we are all developers here um and I'm, i know that uh, a number of our listeners are going to be coders themselves whether that is professionally or or hobbyist um so hopefully we can have a, a really good chat but um first of all as always we are going to just see if there's anything that we can follow up from previous episodes uh, which is even more relevant again now that we are we are actually having episodes in the in the iTunes store. I wanted to start off actually because um, last week, well, two weeks ago in our in episode three, we were talking about uh, media consumption and we were talking about um, uh, Netflix in particular. And I think when we were talking about it, I I said that I don't I tend to watch Netflix, but not that much because there's not a huge amount on it that interests me. Do you recall this, gentleman? Certainly do, yeah. Yeah, so um, in uh, what I did mention is that I was probably going to check out Jessica Jones, and um, I have now done so, and I'm, I've, I've watched eight episodes so far, which for somebody who uh, has a, a small child, finding the time to watch eight 55-minute episodes or something is, uh, is quite a feat. And it is, it is incredible. Have any of you guys have seen it? Ah, have not, but now that you've been the guinea pig, I think I, I may it's, give it a try. It's actually, it is, because uh, I didn't get on with Daredevil, um, and that's Netflix's Daredevil, not Ben Affleck's Daredevil. Because <laughs> no one Daredevil. gets on with that one. Yes. Um, I watched three episodes, and I kind of watched them all begrudgingly because I wasn't that interested. I liked the some of the, the fight choreography, but the story kind of 
did my head in a little bit. Um, but Just Jones is actually a very different program. It's really dark. Um, it's much more adult-themed, which I think everyone knew was coming anyway. And you've got probably the highlight of the series, David Tennant playing like a genuinely terrifying psychopath um, <laughs> in The Purple Man who just has mind control. And it, the, the stuff he mind controls people to do is just absolutely absurd. Uh, in I think it's uh, in the first or the second episode, he just goes to some random person's house and he just, when they open the door, he just says, oh, you're going to invite me into your house and I'm going to stay with you for a while. The guy's like, oh, yeah, come in. And then he basically makes them lock their children in the cupboard and you just, you could just hear the children crying and it's just like, my God, that's actually the, probably the most disturbing thing I've ever seen. Um, but it's, yeah, so uh, it's incredible. I definitely recommend that you guys check that out. And, I saw it uh, like, uh, listed on Netflix and a lot of people have said it's good, but I've not watched it yet because I don't normally like superhero stuff no you don't it's not overly it's not sort of in your face superhero to be honest Mm. it's more about the story um and it's about this relationship between jessica jones and and purple man um although they never call him that actually they call him Kilgrave. uh definitely check it out ben i think you'd i think you'd really enjoy it i do like most of netflix own stuff like i can highly recommend orange is the new black is very good um Master of None, which just came out, is amazing. It's probably the best TV show I've watched in the last few years. And Bojack Horseman is just amazing. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I I haven't been able to watch Orange is the New Black because I always loved Captain Janeway so much. Oh, she's amazing in it. She's so (laughs) good. Three years ago, I went to the Star Trek convention in London and I, I paid like 30 quid to go and have... My uh, to go and get an autograph from uh, Kate Mulgrew, and I queued up for about forty-five minutes. And when I got to the front, she didn't even look at any. She wasn't looking at anyone. Like some, there was somebody taking the photos. They pass them to her. They tell they tell her your name, and she didn't look up. She just writes your name, and she passes the photo on. And like <laughs> everywhere else, like um, my friend Imran was next to me talking to um, Ben Cisco from. Uh, <laughs> Deep Space Nine, having a full-on conversation with him, and here's me just getting totally like <laughs> bird-flipped by Captain Janeway, and so just, it just ruined everything for me. I can't watch Orange is the New Black anymore, or it, just as a result of that. <laughs> if it helps, I didn't realise it was Captain Janeway until about a series in, and I was like, I'm sure I know her from somewhere. She's, <laughs> yeah. she's Russian in it, and she's got she, bright red hair. Uh, yeah. It's hilarious. She's so good. She's the best character in it, by far. No, I refuse to believe it. <laughs> <laughs> but Jeff Jones, I'm definitely going to check that out. Yeah, I'll check yeah. that out. That sounds, check out Jeff Jones. It's sounds really pretty good. good. Um, hey, I was reading something this morning. Uh, it was actually, it was an article. Uh, it came around on one of these uh, newsletters I'm subscribed to. I can't remember which one. I think it's the um, Aspire or Asper. I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce it. The, the people who make, like, Civilization on Mac. Mm, the, the guys that port the games to Mac. Yes, the, the porters. So they, I actually, their newsletter is really good. It's one of the ones that I genuinely enjoy reading when it comes through. Um, but they had an article on why people like to torture their Sims, and um, and I, I remember we were when we were in our first episode, we were talking about games that we really love, and um, we we did sort of briefly mention the Sims. But actually, what we did talk about a lot was Rollercoaster Tycoon, mm. and we discussed various different ways that. Um, we used to build uh, independently of each other roller coasters where people would just have horrible burning. 
Um, and at the bottom of this article about how people like to torture their Sims was another was a link to another article about um, people who like to build roller coaster tycoons that that, <laughs> that people die horribly on. And there's a guy who who built a roller coaster that it takes or it, he hasn't actually even been able to test it. He's calculated that from start to finish it would take t- something like two hundred and one real-time days for the roller coaster to complete, which equates <laughs> to something like 3,000 years in roller coaster tycoon time. Um, and so basically, it's, it's, uh, people would go on the roller coaster and then like just die of starvation. <laughs> Never come <laughs> off. Couldn't get off it. Um, Somewhat thought, related like, to that. Is a, that is a huge amount of effort <laughs> to go into. Somewhat related to that, I read an article the other day about um, a guy, I think he was in... Estonia or maybe Slovakia, somewhere like that, uh, and he built a roller coaster for euthanasia. So it's like a huge climb up and then nine loops, and the g-forces will kill you in a very very pleasant way. And he was like, "This would be a really humane way of doing euthanasia rather than like injections." Like, I saw, I saw that. I saw the crazy idea. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty weird, but it'd be a fun way to go if you, uh... especially if you had dementia or something, you wouldn't have a clue what's going on, would you? <laughs> <laughs> photo at the end would be pretty poor though they <laughs> take one on each loop just to see the progression yeah. I've, um, I've just found a, a link again to that roller coaster tycoon so I'm going to drop that into the show notes for anyone who's interested um, the, 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 the thought behind it is somewhat absurd um, but, uh, yes so um, well related to the um, roller coaster tycoon in our first show um we also mentioned dungeon keeper 2 uh, extensively mm. um and i checked out war for the overworld which is sort of like a, a it, it's basically a complete copy of it but done in a modern game engine um it was on kickstarter and they even managed to get a stretch goal where they got the original voiceover guy from dungeon <laughs> keeper 2 to do What's... this game as well incredible which it makes it genius um it is essentially exactly dungeon keeper 2 but with much better graphics um it's really 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 good um you can get it on steam uh, for pc and mac and it's got steam play so you can play uh cross-platform with other people um and it's definitely definitely worth checking out so i'll stick a link for that in the show notes as well um cool just awesome really good. i knew really, dungeons really good. 2 was uh Dungeons 2 was supposed to be the spiritual successor, wasn't it? Yeah, that's the other one. So I've purchased that one, so we've got a little bit of a spectrum going on. But um, I bought Dungeons 2, and uh, a couple of years ago, Dungeons 1 came out, and it wasn't really Dungeon Keeper-y, and it wasn't great. It was it was all right. Um, and Dungeon Keeper 2 still isn't like a Dungeon... Uh, sorry, Dungeons 2 still isn't like a Dungeons Keeper clone, maybe like War of the Overworld is. Um, but it's a good game, and it's kind of fun. You start off playing a character, and then you... You get into the more dungeony type stuff as it goes in, so um, I can recommend it. I think maybe Dungeons Two is the slightly better game, mm-hmm. but War for the Overworld is the more dungeon keepery game. So, um, but I'm probably going to pick up War for the Overworld at Christmas when it's inevitably on sale on a certain grey branded PC gaming platform. And breaking <laughs> news: the uh, patch 1.3 has just gone live for War for the Overworld, which adds. Um, a map editor and Steam Workshop so people can add extra maps and stuff to it. So probably worth checking that out as well if you've bought it previously and then not played it again. Oh, awesome. Well, um, yeah, I'm just looking at their website, actually, and it 
looks really nice as a game. Man, I love Dungeon Keeper 2. We could do a whole episode on this, and in fact we have. So uh, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna play one of these games on a show one night as well, I think. So uh, yes, that has to happen. Yeah. Um, okay, so moving on. Um, this week we are. Oh no! Um, I I noticed that somebody has some some news to add. That was just a cheeky cheeky interse- interjection by myself. But um, one thing that I've been following quite quickly for. Uh, quite strongly for the last week or so is that Swift has finally gone open source. I say finally, it was planned to go open source this year and it has. So so it's only just happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, they've been, they announced it about six months ago and they said it was coming at the end of the year and it has and it's pretty cool. You can can now download the Swift compiler for Ubuntu and start coding away with Swift. I think it's obviously still got a, a way to go before it becomes really useful. But I think it's really promising that Swift is um, coming to other platforms because it means you can finally learn it for programming and not just for iOS slash OS X mm. stuff. Like Objective-C, you only learned it if you wanted to do Mac or iOS coding. Mm. But now, if Swift gets a bit bigger, it would be nice that you can use it for other things because then there's more incentive for there to be a bigger ecosystem around it. So. IBM already has a virtualization so you can write server code with Swift. They got that up and running this week. But the really cool thing about this open source thing is it's not open source like WebKit where Apple typically just dump a load of code like after a release and just go, there you go, with no explanation, just like literally here is a code dump. With this, they've literally put the full commit log so you can see every single commit all the way back to the beginning of like 2012 when they started writing it, mm. um, which is really cool because you can see how the language has developed and who wrote it and different things like that. But they've also put the roadmap for Swift 3, and like mm-hmm. half the code that's in there is stuff that is coming presumably next year. So it's really interesting to see where things are going and the fact that they're accepting pull requests so you can literally go in and add stuff and they might add it to the language. So it's, it's really interesting, is really, really good. good step forward. And it's really setting the groundwork. I mean, I, I'm on the Swift Evolution mailing list where they discuss features they might add, and they're really open to taking, you know, community-driven requests. And I think ultimately the, the board, while it's probably always going to be primarily Apple, uh, there's going to be space on the kind of the driving force behind Swift to have mm. some community members on as well, which is pretty cool. So I think that's really, that's, really good uh, move by Apple. That's a really nice piece of news, actually. Thanks, John, for bringing that. And it's... Um, it does tie really nicely into our topic this week because Swift is is kind of a, a relatively new language, relatively. Um, and am I right in thinking that actually it's only really come into itself since Swift 2 came out in June? Is that right? Um, I'm not 100% sure on that. I mean, I've been using it since Swift 1, um, uh-huh. and I've got apps on the App Store for clients, yes. some written in 1.0, some in 1.2, some yeah. in 2.0. Yeah. Um, and I think it's always been good. It's It's getting better each time. Yeah, um, but I think more people are probably starting to use it now just because it's a bit more mature. But I don't think it it wasn't bad when it launched. It was still better than Objective C, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a case of projects slowly moving over. I think it's just a yeah. Now it's just a natural move over. And you're right. I think it's becoming more used now. But that's just yeah. over time. If you were starting a new project today, you would use Swift. Yeah. Unless you're, you know, a fossil. Um, <laughs> But a lot of people have got larger projects to maintain. Like, there's no point in 
porting a Objective-C app over to Swift because you don't get that many benefits, really, right. in the time it would take you to do the port. But if you were starting a new app, then you would use Swift because it's just easier. Right, okay. Um, so getting into uh, the main meat of our topic this week then, um, obviously Swift is... is um, a lot of people, I think, over the last five-plus years have wanted to get into code because they've wanted to make iPhone apps. I think I think the iPhone revel the iPhone has sort of, certainly sort of led the the smartphone app revolution as and mm. has brought quite a lot of people into coding. I know um a few years ago when I was still teaching there was a a, a uh, like a 14-year-old boy who had taught himself Objective C and got a game into the App Store and I think at the time he was the youngest person certainly in the UK who had an app in the app store and it's just i think it's it's incredible really that it's that people are wanting to get into code and this is obviously quite a um a close topic to my heart because i've only sort of fairly recently moved out of you know a fairly traditional um career path into development myself now we're we're all, we're all developers here so could we maybe have a little bit of a chat about what we all do because we we cover a fairly broad spectrum as well i think um between the three of us so um how about if we start maybe with with john do you want to tell us what you what you do now professionally and what you sort of do in your in your spare time and and um and how you actually got started Sure. So, uh, I mean, now I primarily work in C++, uh, working on game development for an awesome company called Paradox Interactive. Um, so, obviously, C++ still dominates the games in industry, at least for the more performance-driven uh, games, you know, where you need to have 60 yeah. FPS and a lot of stuff going on, yeah. um, because it's purely still one of the languages where you can really get down to the nitty-gritty. So, uh, sure, you can write games in other languages, but... C++ is still cross-platform and high performance, so there's still a lot there. But it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a really good language, and I have a lot of fun with it. Before that, I worked with my own company, writing whatever apps people would pay me for, generally. Always <laughs> um, the best way. Which was primarily iPhone at the time. Uh, sometimes the odd like, little OSX app and things here and there, but primarily iPhone work. So uh-huh. um, that was cool. And where did it all begin? <laughs> with my Dragon 32 when I was seven. And <laughs> I used to get uh, magazines back in the day, which had basic code in. And you would copy the code from the magazine onto your computer, and you would save it and run it, and the game would play. <laughs> uh, but since then, I mean, I, I guess I really got into it when I was like about 12 with a Commodore VIC-20, Commodore 64, and my Atari ST. Uh, and I had the computer and people bought me games and I played games but I spent just as much time trying to program as playing games and things so. uh, and over time I guess perseverance it's just uh, paid off you sort of you start playing you go oh this is cool what can I do what can I do with this and that and back then it was Perl scripts so you should count yourself lucky that you can use Python nowadays <laughs> but yeah I mean it was it was that's where it all started I guess and then I went to university and started writing apps and games in my spare time, and I, I still try and do that. So, cool. I should imagine that you probably um, have quite a lot of stuff out there. You've been writing apps for a, a, a huge amount of time. I know that you have a few things on your website. Do you have like quite a busy GitHub account and things like that? 
not that much of it lives in GitHub because I'm a bit of a perfectionist and I think I fall prey to what a lot of people do where they go, well, I'll put it on GitHub when it's perfect. Right. The reality is what you do is you get it to a point where it works because it's a community project, you know, which is just a spare time thing. Like I've got a 3D model editor and viewer for a game called Legend of Grimrock. Uh, and you say, oh, when it's cool, I'll put it on GitHub. But actually what happens is when it works and people start using it, you stop. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I would rather code something else than make this one perfect, but I don't want to put it on GitHub until it's perfect. So there's a bit of a yeah. dilemma there. But um, I'm getting better at sharing code that I don't think is great because time restraints, but I still think it's worth sharing. So. Okay, cool. Thanks for sharing that. And um, Ben, same question, same questions. What was the question? Uh, <laughs> like, how did I get into code? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so, what do you do now? Um, right. okay. How did you get into it? Um, what, so, what do you do professionally? What do you do for fun? And how, where did you start? All right. So, um, nowadays, I, I professionally build iPhone apps as a freelancer. <clears throat> and I've been doing that since, um, I think, probably the launch of the App Store, really. It was probably the middle of 2009. Um, and so I do all of my apps in Swift. Um, I typically do most of my work for clients. Um, I used to have my own app, uh, Wallaby, that took up most of my time, but I sold that not long ago. So now, typically, I'd say 90% of the time I'm doing client work, and the other 10% of the time I build my own little iPhone apps or iPad apps. Um, how it started, I, I think I started when I was at school, probably in about 1999, uh, I went around to a friend's house, and he was like, hey, let's build a website. I've got this book, and it was this huge HTML4 book. Like, it was massive. It was, like, the size of a Bible. Um, and literally, in Netscape Navigator, I opened up Notepad and then coded, like, a little Hello World page. Um, and then it started from there, and then I got my own book and started building little websites um, at school and stuff like that. Uh, did some work in uh, Access for my A-level in IT. Uh, and then when I was at university and I met you guys, um, I took over, I think, a website from John, actually, <laughs> <laughs> for one of the societies we were in, and I ended up sort of running about six or seven society websites in PHP, so started coding that stuff. Um, and that's eventually what I did as my full-time job. I came out of university, and instead of doing something with my amazing politics degree, uh, I joined a <laughs> agency in London and did HTML and PHP development. Um, and then became a development manager there, moved to a different company and did the same thing. Um, and then pretty much when the iPhone came out, I said to myself, uh, I want to make apps for this. This is much more fun than dealing with PHP. Um, so I went freelance, and I've been doing it ever since. Awesome. Um, cool. How about yourself, Chris? Yeah, I mean, kind of similar to uh, a cross between you guys, I suppose, um, but with a little bit more. It's a little bit more peppered, I suppose, my history with it. Because I uh, like like John. I used to program in BASIC on my Commodore sixty four, and I just used to absolutely love that i used to get such a buzz from it but i can't even remember anything that i coded i'm almost certain that like john i used to get uh, magazines that had sort of code snippets in uh that you copy out and then you can you can see what's happening and then my next memory is actually of learning c when i was a teenager and i think i i, I worked my way through that uh, c for dummies like there were two volumes of that 
And I really loved that. And I did some early web development. I had a website when when the internet was still fairly fresh for um uh you know home use. I remember I had I had a website where I just used to put Warcraft 2 maps and uh, <laughs> It was your it was your really typical mid nineties website with a tiled background <laughs> uh, and like, absolutely no styling. It was just lots of colourful headers, uh, basically, and then just all the text straight down. Please tell me there was a bit of marquee text on there. Probably. I mean, it was, it was all of the all of the standard tropes. I think were were there. Um, I mean, I used to I used to use. Um, you wouldn't call it an IDE, I suppose. It was an editor called Hot Dog. I don't know if you either of you remember Hot Dog. That no. name rings it a bell. Actually, it's it's uh, it's dead. It's fairly dead as a company now. I think they've been bought into something else. Um, but I did that, and then again, I didn't do any for a while after that. I think I tried to when I when I finished with C. I think I tried to get into C plus plus, and I was really really confused by the whole object oriented thing. Um. And so I think I just put it to one side. And then when I got to uni, I got back into web development, sort of the same same sort of thing as Ben. I, I got involved with building a society website and learnt a fair amount of PHP with, with John's help um, in order to maintain that. And again, I've sort of recently looked back over those sites, and by today's standards, they're just utterly vile. But at the time, it was, it was pretty good. And then again, I just put it to one side again. And it's only really in the last couple of years, because I went, I went into teaching after university, and it's only really as, as education just became such a, a awful political landscape to work in. It was not fun. I was not enjoying it. And I realised, actually, I've, I've sort of like, this thing that has been sort of weaving in and out of my, of my life is actually that I really love coding. So I should try to get back into that. And I actually suffered from what I think we're going to talk about later on in the episode, you know, as the episode goes on, which is like, where do I actually begin? Because I have, and if you look at my CV, you know, I've, I've, I have put everything on there in truth. So I've actually got quite a, like, small pockets of experience with different things mm-hmm. and no sort of consistent experience so i actually i started off with some java when i was still teaching because um i thought i wanted to get into into software development and java seemed to be the place where there was a lot of jobs but after about six months or so i i kind of realized that it was probably going to take me a long time to get good enough to get a job in java so i switched over to web development and just started on with uh kind of like kind of like ben uh, I got a book on HTML. Uh, it was still HTML 4.01, I think, and and some CSS, early CSS. Started working on that, and then I picked up a couple of... I started just working through uh, online courses on Udemy and sort of picking up little bits of basic PHP here, little bits really basic sort of JavaScript jQuery there. And I just basically kept making websites and then iterating them until they got good enough for me to get sort of my first job as a web developer and so sort of since then i've been working as a front-end developer um and and that's where i am now so it's kind of it's been a bit of a bouncy bit of a rocky road for me but i'm kind of i'm here now um and um yeah i mean one one thing that i'm i'm i've been trying to work out myself is why are so many people doing what i've done and sort of flocking into 
this sector now? Why is this the hot thing for people to do? Because there's an awful lot of people jacking in their, their careers, going to boot camps or or not so much in this country. I think that's a very American thing. Um, but people are certainly sort of putting themselves through intensive sort of self-training, learning how to code and then getting into development. Why is this suddenly happening? I think it's... Um this is pretty much a, a standard thing in, in human history, uh, which you would compare to basically like the gold rush of the uh, American past, where everyone suddenly dropped what they were doing and rushed over to start looking for gold, and eventually most of them didn't. <laughs> uh, and that's much the same, especially with the App Store. You hear all of these stories of like, oh, this guy made Flappy Bird, and he just made it in a few hours, and then he made millions of it. He made so much that he turned it off because he was sick of all the attention. I want to do that. I could do that. I could spend four hours coding this. Maybe it'd take me a week rather than a few hours, but I could do it. And off they go. And then they realise the sad realisation that that does not happen to everyone or to mm -hmm. nearly, you know, not even half a percent of people. And that actually it's mm -hmm. incredibly difficult to make money on the App Store um, mm -hmm. unless you know what you're doing and you have a lot of money to put into it. Um, so I think the real reason is that it's, it's a gold rush. Uh, people hear these stories of you know, people becoming millionaires overnight with the right app. Um, and, of course, it's so easy. I mean, you, all you need is a computer, and you can download all the software. Um, with the App Store now, you can get into it for free, whereas you used to have to pay £100 a year or something. And I think the, I mean, the same as that, really, but on the not self-employed side, I think there's also the dream of, you know, everyone hears about the developer who's making seventy, eighty thousand pounds a year, uh, four days a week or something. And that's again, I guess another dream that everyone goes, mm. well if I get into coding and I work in coding for eight years, that's what I'll be getting paid because that's what you know, that's how most other jobs progress. Like the longer you spend in it, the more you get paid. Whereas actually with coding you have to be really good to get those bucks, you know. But yeah. then also it's, a lot of it is to do with just the the internet. I mean, because you've got things like Facebook, if you were a basic level coder for Facebook uh, when it got, you know, went public or when it started getting serious investment money, then you could retire with millions of pounds, <laughs> like even if you were not a yeah. good developer, because you were there from the start, you got stock options, and so you get the big bucks. Uh, and it's sort of like that gold rush feeling again, especially in San Francisco, where there's just more developers than, you know, anything else mm. uh, that they just go there looking for a job where they can work at a startup get a you know be there for a few months it goes public they get a huge cash in and they can leave um, so I think you get a lot of that you've obviously got a lot of venture capital companies pumping money through all of this um, there's a lot of agencies which spring up around it because as the internet got so popular every company needs a website now so you might hire a freelancer you might hire a digital agency so there's a lot of openings available for people to get jobs so sort of like a combination of all of those really mm, it's very interesting i mean um so one I mean, thing why, that, why yeah. would you need a developer you know you sort of said 10 to 15 years ago why would you need a developer 20 years ago you had them in banking to do you know sort of custom in-house enterprise mm. apps but you obviously have to have a significant level of experience to be doing something like that uh, you have them for a lot of specialist applications but most people didn't have and a it's computer. a company 
they certainly didn't have a mobile phone. Um, mm. So there wasn't really, there was no internet as such. I mean, there obviously was, but not as we know it now. Uh, so there was no need to have as many developers, whereas now you've got this huge influx, like everyone in the world has at least one internet-connected device, um, and you need websites, you need apps, you need stuff all the time being developed. So it, it, part of it is just that the market has grown and that you need so many developers to support it. And then also there is this dream of, making it rich very easily uh, so you get a lot, a lot more people who are just in it for that. Mm, I mean, I think quite a lot of it has to do with uh, sort of <coughs> the general education of people, sort of understanding of of, of tech these days. We're, we're all a lot more tech savvy because I'm, I'm just thinking that, you know, when I was a kid, I was doing programming and I was loving it and... All of the the people the 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 people around me who were there for guidance, you know, like teachers and career advisors at school, um, and you know, family. Everyone was aware that I was doing all this programming, but nobody at any point had told me that this is something that I could actually do for a living. And so I went off into, you know, quite a traditional career, and it's taken me quite a long time to actually come full circle and come back to this coding thing. And I think that a lot of that is because back in the 90s, I think possibly nobody really, there was no, nobody really knew what this coding thing was. Most people know what programming is now, even if they don't know how to do it themselves. They're aware of it. They, you could tell somebody that you're a developer and they'll pretty much know what you're talking about. Um, or they'll know that you do some sort of programming. Whereas I think maybe, maybe 10 years ago, if you, if you said to somebody, I want to be a programmer when they grow up and, and they, people would be like wow you know why would you why would you know who would actually want to hire you for that maybe i don't know i don't know yeah, if you I'm, agree right. or disagree you're right because as i said there just weren't enough jobs mm. back then because mm. you know you didn't need it if you were no, to be a developer in the 80s then you were probably writing you know software for like atms or something, or something. yeah no, yeah it's too warp <laughs> yeah <laughs> the fact is like uh, 10 years ago a company needed the a web developer for two weeks to make their website and never touched it, whereas now they need someone, you know, they need a team of five to maintain their website because it's an online yeah. store. Yes. And it you is. have a lot of different developers as well because you have... A huge number of different developers. Your apps, you've got your um, website development, um, but then you've got software development not just for things like the Mac and Windows, but also for, you know, complex in-house stuff. Like if you look at something like the movie industry where you have nearly everything is CGI. Um, a lot of those people are artists, but a lot of them are coders as well. Um, mm. Or they'll have skills in both. Like if you work for Pixar, um, you might be an animator, but you're likely using digital tools and yes. you're a developer to run those tools and do all of that stuff. Um, so there is just the number of things that need development work. Now that the majority of things we try and use are digital in some way or much more technically advanced than ever they were. Uh, you need people to program all of this stuff. And Even I think it's only going to keep going up, right? I mean, like, uh, everything is, is changing still and maybe not quite at the same pace. But, I mean, you know, you can buy a 3D printer now and in three years that'll be cheaper and it'll be something which, uh, instead of going to the shop to buy a screwdriver, I'll print one and that needs yeah. coder. You know, the coder has to write the code for that. And, yeah. and not, not just the printer, but the software the user uses. So, I mean, even more stuff is just going to keep going to automated and computer solutions where you need to have coders. And it's not a job which you just do and stop because you need to keep 
maintaining the software, supporting new platforms, making it better, faster. So, And one of the things that's really interesting is that um, nowadays, like you were saying, Chris, like in the 90s, you didn't have the support to become a developer because, A, there wasn't the job to do it and the careers advisors wouldn't know what to do about it anyway. Yeah. Nowadays, uh, I mean, the government here is making sort of big strides to make people learn coding like they want every child yeah. to know how to code even if it's something basic and you mm. see that even in toys like uh, disney infinity for example or minecraft or any of these kinds of things yeah whereby you get given the tools to do basic programming like if you step on that switch then that should happen over there mm. and building logic gates and things like that so it's much easier for kids to get into programming and sort of do stuff without even realizing they are coding like you're playing yeah. Disney Infinity and building some cool you know layout or uh, building a game in it because you have like a whole game engine there that you can build like you know racing car games or whatever yeah. you want uh, and you do all that without even realizing it's coding and then when you come down to actually code something or learn a language for the first time you're like oh hey this is just like Disney Infinity mm. uh, and of course we never really had that stuff when we were younger or or we did, but it, it wasn't great. It's mm. obviously nowhere near as cool as that is. Um, so a lot of it is just now kids are being taught that coding is something you should know. Like it's a language just like how you should know grammar or read music or anything like that. It's just another language that people try and learn. Yeah. Um, it's interesting you say that, actually sort of leading in from what I was saying about people not really knowing um, I think there's there is this massive massive government push, and it's happening on both sides of the pond as well. Because you see, um, or well, certainly all over Twitter, I see loads of stuff. Is it Code School? Do their hour of code? Um, I don't yeah, know if you know that. And um, and I just see like Obama turned up at an hour of code, and um, Tim Cook turned up at an hour of code, and and all of these really big names are are, are getting in there to push it. But actually. Um, sort of over here, we've got this real push with education saying, right, okay, scrap all the traditional IT GCSEs, because in all fairness, they were totally useless, um, <laughs> uh, and sort of replace it with computer science. But, you know, bef bef just this year, before I got my first developer job, I was um, I was still learning, sort of training myself to get to that, and I was doing some supply teaching um, in the meantime, and I was doing some supply in an IT department, and there was a teacher who was teaching a computer science GCSE, and he's an ex-developer himself, and they were the teachers were given free reign to choose the language that they taught the children, and he was teaching them Visual Basic. <laughs> I, I just couldn't believe it. I was, why? Like, what is? Oh, and it just it sort of infuriated, and I, I actually got into an argument with this with this man who Surely I'd never not. met before. He's a full time teacher, and I was just a supply teacher. Um, and I was just like, "Why are you teaching? Why are you bothering to teach the kids this language? But it's not going to help them in any way." I think uh, one of the big problems it. is that who in their right mind would be a developer for a lot of their life and then go into teaching unless they're not, not a great developer, you know? <laughs> That's the other thing. I said to him, oh, you're mad. I've left teaching. I'm going into... I'm going into I mean, one of the things um, I was going to mention later on, but I'll bring it up now, is that uh, when I was at university, I did... You were allowed to do certain credits outside of your school. So while I was doing politics, um, I did... Uh, a quarter of my second year grade in basic HTML, um, <laughs> which was funny because at the time I was 
building websites for clients uh, and I was correcting his HTML mistakes and I got 100% on it miraculously. Um, but the problem was that the stuff that they teach is most of the time, and this is a very, very broad generalization based on my experience, most of the things they teach you at computer science or IT or at university are things that they learnt themselves and then they left coding to become a teacher and they still teach the same things and they refuse to sort of change their viewpoint to something new. Yeah. And then the pupils get uh, stuck in that same thing. Um, when I worked uh, at a digital agency in London, um, I had to interview a lot of people to come in as developers. And I remember interviewing 64 people for one position um, and we ended up hiring someone who was not the best developer. He hadn't done computer science or anything like that, whereas a lot of them had. But he was the best because he was the most adaptable and like willing to change. If I said to him, right, I want you to use this programming language or learn this, he would do it. Uh, and his experience was good enough in that he was adaptable to learning things, which is the most important thing in a coder because stuff changes. Like if you didn't adapt, if you just learned Swift 1, then you'd be stuffed now because Xcode forces you to use Swift 2. So mm -hmm. if you didn't want to upgrade, you, you kind of have to. Uh, and the people that we hired that were from computer science backgrounds were terrible because if you told them, that's not the best way of doing this in JavaScript, you should use this, they'd be like, no, my lecturer said we should do it this way. And I went to this prestigious university, so I know best. And they'd always be like, oh, Jesus. I think that actually leads nicely into a little bit about the kind of skills that make a good developer. Mm. And actually, I think, obviously, knowledge of a language is important. I mean, you're not going to go into a new job in <clears throat> iOS development if you've never used Swift. But I think more important than the knowledge of the language is understanding the way to think like a developer. Um, so having the ability to piece bits of logic together to come up with an outcome, write good algorithms and structure code, that's actually irrelevant to the language you're using. Um, mm. And I think that's actually more important when it comes to making a hiring decision than the raw coding language skills they have. Obviously, people need to have the language experience to prove they can code. <laughs> you don't want yes. to, oh, you think great, but you've never coded before. Um, but quite often the actual language, as long as it's what you're doing is not too vastly dissimilar to someone's background, isn't that relevant, I think. It's more about the, the, the mindset they have and the way they tackle problems and whether their code is readable. The because, way that I yes. used to hire web developers uh, it was very simple. If the CV had an email address like at gmail.com, then I wouldn't even see them because if you don't have your own website and you're a web developer, then you're not interested enough yeah. to be hired. Uh, because if you don't have oh, your own website... I think at my CV, I've got my Gmail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I wouldn't hire you, Chris, but that's, that's more about the yeah. basic, <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but... Um, it, the number of people that don't have their own websites who are web developers, and it's like you're shooting yourself in the foot. That's the most important thing. And then, and then you're looking at things like GitHub profiles. Yeah. If you don't have a GitHub profile and you don't have any code at all, then no, you, you need to go back and rethink this. I and mean, when I started as a developer, uh, I had like open source code on my website, and a lot of it was terrible, and some of it was completely irrelevant, like the uh, Stop Hammer Time Firefox extension that. John and I wrote together. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was on my website, and I got hired on the basis of that once because it showed that I was doing 
coding in my spare time, even if it was something stupid like that. Um, mm. And it also made it more memorable, I guess, that if you're looking through CVs and that comes up, you're, you're more likely to remember it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Do you put on about how MC Hammer sued you over it? I do. <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> da- downloaded over half a million times, and I'm sued by Hammer Man himself. I think that's the line yeah. in my CV. <laughs> I think also, um, it helps. if you can, if you can program in something, I think you are you can think like a developer, can't you? It doesn't really necessarily matter. Yeah. Um, if because I mean, when when I first started on the front end, I didn't know JavaScript, but I'd done some Java, and the syntax is very very similar, and so. Any JavaScript that I wrote, I wrote it. I tried to write it as if it was Java, and I kind of that that fell over a bit when I tried to think in terms of like object-oriented stuff because JavaScript doesn't really behave in the same way that way. But um, I didn't need to know JavaScript to be able to write JavaScript because I knew other languages with similar syntax, and I think that helps an awful lot. Um, but actually, that that to be honest, I mean, the yeah. most important skill for a developer is good working knowledge of Google. Um, yes, because Stack Overflow. Yeah, exactly. If you can go to Stack Overflow, find the right query to answer the question you have, incorporate it into your code in a way that isn't terrible, then you'll go far. Yeah. Um, I mean, <clears throat> when I started doing iOS development, obviously I had no apps. The App Store had just come out. I've been a PHP developer my whole life. How did I get you know people to pay me money to build them iPhone apps? Um, and the reason was that... Um, one of my friends said to me, oh, I've got a guy who's looking for someone for a TV show, a developer, freelance iOS developer to do something. Uh, would you want to do it? Because he knew that I'd been on TV with something else before. And I was like, yeah, sure. And I went to this meeting and the guy's like, right, in two months we need you to have built this app that does this, this, this and this. Uh, can you do that? And I just went, yep. And I wasn't even being paid for it. It was just like a free thing for you know publicity. Um, and I was like, yep, I could do that. And I had no idea at all. And I went home... <laughs> bought a load of books and iPhone development mm. and I got the thing done in the two months because I was just, you know, you have a deadline, you have to have it done. Um, it would have been bad if I hadn't. Uh, and so as a developer, that's the most important thing, being able to basically say, yes, I can do that and then going off and finding out how to do that. Now, obviously that code would be terrible and mm. you, you wouldn't want to use it, but it was an app that you know got into the top 10 of the app store so to be honest it doesn't really matter how good your code is yeah. uh, as long as it works which is a, a terrible thing to say most people would be like oh no no you need testing you need unit tests you need mm. it needs to be perfect and to those people i say bollocks <laughs> <laughs> that definitely um, depends on your your work environment i think that wouldn't fly at a bank well yeah, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're probably right there. But I mean, I know freelancers. Uh, I have a lot of friends who are freelancers, and they'll maybe publish two apps a year because they spend so much time on doing testing and making it all absolutely perfect when they're the only developers working on it. (laughs) Whereas I'll do like 10 or 11 apps a year because I don't bother with that stuff because I know that when they come to redevelop the app, they'll just rebuild it from scratch anyway because it's quicker. Yeah, Uh, And it drives me crazy. So... For people who want to join the digital gold rush, as it were, um, there's just a terrifying array of um, of options. Whereas, I mean, I, I, you know, like I said, I kind of felt my way around it and and tried. I've tried loads of different things, and I, I'm, it's not really been to a huge benefit to me because I've just got 
a lot of a lot of books okay, on a lot of different languages. And at the moment, I still don't have oh, the the thing that I've actually got the most experience in at the moment is probably HTML and CSS. You know, and and that is not even programming. So, like, where where do you begin? I what, think what are your there's. Um, I think there's only one. But there's one real rule, and that is pick something and spend time doing it. So, um, like, the only thing that really matters, like, even when it comes to getting the job at the end of it, is having projects on your CV slash GitHub slash website. Um, So, I mean, that's, if you actually want to, you know, the end goal of your learning experience should be three, five, seven, depending depending on the size of them and what they do, projects on your CV. And that is quite often the first thing I look for when I'm looking at a CV and making hiring decisions, you know, what have they actually done? Um, and therefore, obviously the first projects you do are just going to be a random number generator or this is a dice roller, uh, yeah. but you should pick something small and think, this is what I want to do. This is the first thing I want to make. I, I Maybe I play a board game and I want to have it so that it can roll my three dice together and add them up. And it's that really simple. And you'll probably never actually use your first half a dozen, dozen whatever projects again, depending on the size of them. But I mean, that's the first thing you should do is pick something you actually want to make or you think would be cool or fun. You know, even if you don't think it'd be fun, just pick something you want to aim towards and you'll be satisfied when you do it. And actually, I want to just chime in there as well from the front end perspective that it goes just the same. Like, I think if you want to get into the way I got into front end, was just by building a bunch of websites, and they started off so bad. Uh, so I just, I just kept iterating and iterating and iterating, and and picking up new tools and new frameworks and adding them in and making new iterations, and and that is how I got my first job is because I had a small portfolio of websites that I'd built. And John makes a very good point of saying that you should build something that you're interested in. Yes. Like when people ask me, oh, how do I get into development? Because I don't have a portfolio. And obviously people want to see a portfolio of work before they hire you. So it's sort of like a chicken and egg problem. Mm. Uh, But it's not. You just have to think of yourself as the client. And so you just make things that you want to use. So a lot of the apps that I'm writing now, now that I you have a bit more spare time now that I'm not working on this big app I used to have Mm. um, is I'm just writing cool little things that I like to use and I'm just sticking them on the app store because you know you might as well Um, so I've got one that just very simply when I look at uh, Pocket the app that saves your bookmarks to like Mm. an app I hate it that when you open the bookmarks they open in its own little crappy readability view rather than going into Safari, which has ad blocking and all kinds of other nice stuff. So I built a basic app which takes your pocket list, and when you tap on it, it opens it in Safari, because it was an app I wanted, and I find it useful. Mm-hmm. But now it'll be on the App Store shortly, and it's like, oh, okay, no one's going to download it probably, but that doesn't matter, because if I was starting out as a developer, I could stick that in my portfolio and be like, here's an iPhone app I did. So for yes. me, even with someone with the, you know five six years of experience it's still good because i can put it in my portfolio and be like this is an app i built in swift 2 works on the ipad pro uses x feature and y feature useful um, and that's kind of the way to get started just build small basic things that you find interesting that you would use and don't care if anyone else uses them because even if it's not very good or you don't end up using it you've still had the experience of building it which will help you for the next app you build yeah Here's an interesting question. 
Um, if um, I guess we'll start start John and go round. If you were starting today, and you decided you wanted to get into code, and you just try and imagine that you had no knowledge of it, but but also try and put your experience uh, sort of over that as an overlay. What language would you start with today, or what language would you suggest is the one to start with? That's obviously very dependent on actually. It's a what mammoth you... question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's very dependent on the very first thing you think you want to make. I mean, if you want to get into the the website That's... side, obviously, then you want to probably pick something like PHP because yeah. uh, it's kind of friendly. You start off with HTML, and then you start putting little bits of PHP in, and then you put more PHP in. Then you start having separate PHP files or classes in. So it's kind of a nice progression. You can go from pretty website to adding functions one at a time. So I think there's a nice stepping stone effect there. If it's if it's real programming you want to get into. Um... <laughs> yeah, PHP is not real programming. Content <laughs> <laughs> loser. But I mean, uh, I would probably suggest something like, um, I mean, Python, I think, is a pretty good first step because you actually there's so many libraries you can actually glue them together with python and you can get a, a load done with not much python so it's really satisfying you know you're like oh i wish i had an app that could go through and make pdfs out of pitched or something there's probably libraries that do that so it might only be like five lines of code or i wish i had an app that could resize all my images from my website ah that's 10 lines of Python code. So you can actually do an awful lot with not much Python code. And I think that makes it a good language to learn. But but then if you actually want to make an app or something, you should, you know, you should just go right in and pick up Swift. Because Swift is a you know, on your Mac, download Xcode, find a few Swift tutorials online. It's a really friendly language. And you do also get that hit very quick because you can drag a few things onto interface builder, hook up a few lines of code, and you've got a tic-tac-toe game maybe even for a beginner, like, in a, in a few hours. And you're like, cool. And you can actually see it on your phone. Again, satisfying. I think that's important, is to get a quick feedback loop so you can get the, the hit of enjoying it. So I think, yeah, like, PHP, Python, or Swift are pretty good starting choices. That's, that's a good array of answers, actually. Thanks for that, John. What about you, Ben? What, do you, what would you say? I would agree partially with John. I think uh, he's right with, if you're going into web development, then... You know, starting with HTML, going into PHP is a good way of doing it because you've got a huge amount of uh, previous code that you have access to. Like, if you have any question about PHP, you can find that online easily. There's going to be someone that's written it before. Uh, so that's a good suggestion. Um, I've never dabbled with Python, so I, I'm not sure about that, but I would bow to his greater knowledge on that. With, yeah. with iPhone, though, I would disagree with saying start with Swift. And the reason I say that at the moment is because all of the libraries that um, work on the iPhone, so like all of the foundational code that iOS is built from, that is all still Objective-C. And most of Swift, of the hard stuff you will do, is interfacing with Apple's own frameworks uh, and doing various hacky things to make it work with Objective-C or the fact that most of the third-party libraries you'll want to use are not written in Swift, they're written in Objective-C. Um, mm. So whilst you can use them in Swift, and you just use a bridging header to bring them in, you still need to understand how that connection works. And I kind of feel that it's better to start with Objective-C because then you get a feel for the language and how everything works. And you can still get that same quick 
the feedback sort of thing of uh, building an app in Interface Builder with Objective-C and getting it run on your phone within an hour or two very easily. Um, but then you also have access to much more real-world code. Like if you have a problem in Swift, then generally you'll find the answer to it for basic questions. But for a lot of stuff, it's just people haven't got to it yet. Whereas with Objective-C, you're going to find loads of tutorials, you're going to find loads of code out there already that you can use today. Uh, so I guess it depends. I mean, if you've done any programming before, so let's say that you've done some web development code and now you're thinking you want to move into iPhone development. Uh, if you've done some JavaScript work before, for example, then maybe going straight to Swift will work for you because you already know the key concepts of programming and the languages are quite similar. Whereas if you're coming in from scratch, like you are, you know, you've had a completely different job and now you want to start learning code, I think you'd go into Objective-C first. It's uh, interesting. There's a, a resource that I really like for um, learning to program for the Apple systems is uh, called the Big Nerd Ranch. Mm. Um, yeah, I've used them a few times. They've got some some. Their books are excellent. I've got a couple of their Objective C books when I first got my Mac, and that that is actually the path that led me to to Java, and then eventually onto actually going onto web. Is that was that was my first sort of touch at programming. Um, in the last ten years or so, but they, um, they, one of their lead guys, I think his name is is um, something like Aaron Hillgas. I'm not sure if that's how to pronounce it, but he just did a really interesting talk, which I will try. I'll find it and I'll link it in the show notes. Um, which he, um, I think he called it something like a, a eulogy for Objective C, <laughs> and he did like a whole half hour talk. He did it like an actual funeral, where he went through the <laughs> length of his life and talked about all the achievements. And then talked about Swift coming in as the successor. And then at the end, he basically just, I won't spoil it too much, but he basically, at the end, he's like, but Objective-C, like, I love Objective-C so much, I'll still use it loads. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's, that, it was a really interesting <laughs> video. I'll find that and link that in. I have um, um, one thing mm -hmm. while I think about it. I have a plea to anyone who wants to start doing development, uh, especially if you're going to do app development, if you're coming from web development. Please, please, please do not use one of these terrible, shitty layer things where you basically build <laughs> a website and turn it into an app. Just yeah. don't do it. It's terrible. Yeah. Like yeah. It will run on every platform, but it will be shit on every platform. Yeah. And even, <laughs> even Facebook went back on their decision to use a, an intermediate layer, didn't yeah. they, and went back to a native app. So. Oh, but it's so good. You can write it once and it works on everything. No, don't do it. Every time you do that, God kills a kid. <laughs> um, I, I'm aware that we need to start wrapping up, but um, I want to answer my own question or try and answer my own question. I'm going to go... Uh, I'm quite interested that um, in the answers that you gave, and I think it's a really good range of answers, I'm going to go slightly different. I'm going to pick a language that I really didn't like for an awfully long time, and I'm still not entirely sure how much I like it, but Visual I can see... Six. Uh, not Visual Basic. Um, in an earlier episode of The Divide, I was a Visual Basic developer, but I am now not a Visual Basic developer. I am a, a front-end and JavaScript developer now. The most short-lived Visual Basic developer ever. Yeah, lasted five weeks. Chris has um, now been promoted to OS2 Warp Development. Yeah, thanks very much. Um, but I think the language that I'm going to choose is probably JavaScript. It's a good choice. Uh, I, I don't like JavaScript because it's dirty. 
Um, and I, there's a lot about it that I, that I really don't enjoy, like the fact that you can just fly fast and loose with your variables and your typing and things like that. But actually, um, I just think that there's a... It is growing in its um, support and it's growing in its power. And there's an awful lot of new developments coming out with JavaScript in the in the coming versions. They're going to start releasing um, yearly updates. Um, I think as of next year, they're moving from sort of uh, ES4, ES5, ES6. They're going to start naming them after the years and putting them out every year with sort of smaller batches of code. Now, I'm not sure how well that will go down, seeing as uh, there's obviously it takes a long time for the browsers to start supporting new versions of JavaScript. But um, you've key, also got all so, of the JavaScript. Yeah, well, I was going to say the, the key thing with JavaScript as well is that there is a lot of server-side stuff that started yeah. up in recent years, yeah. like Node.js. Uh, there yeah. are a lot of very, very big websites that are powered by that. Yeah, um, and it's a good beginner language because there's so much code out there that exists already. Yeah, um, it's, exactly. It's a great choice. Exactly what I was going to say. JavaScript. You can learn vanilla JavaScript to learn the language. You can learn jQuery to really help you with your CSS uh, or certainly to, to help make it more dynamic. You can do Node.js for server-side. And actually, um, I think AngularJS is, like, really hot for some front-end um, web apps now. So I think, yeah, I think if, you, if I was getting into it now, I'd just go straight into JavaScript. But I, you'd have to find a really good guide because I've read some dreadful JavaScript books, and I think that's <laughs> part of the reason why I really don't like, didn't like it. But I'm getting into it. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's, again, and it hits that, that sort of thing where you get to make something and see the result very quickly. I think that's yeah. really important. You type some JavaScript, and now your website does something cool. Yes, so absolutely. A good choice. Absolutely. Um, that's probably a really good place to leave it. I, I feel like um, we could probably this, carry this discussion on and on and on because um, we've obviously all got an awful lot that we can say. I think it would be quite interesting to have a follow-up episode maybe some months down the line. Um, you never know. So maybe one of our listeners will pick up a new language today um, as a result of what we've chatted about today. Uh, as long as it's not Visual Basic, I'll be happy with that. <laughs> um, so obviously the divide is now a live thing. It's become an entity. We are online. Um, we're on the iTunes store. Uh, and so that means it's time for us to start asking for reviews. The only way that we're going to uh, get more visibility on iTunes is if we start getting some reviews in. Uh, so if you listen to the show today and you enjoyed it, please do feel free to go and leave us a, an honest review. We don't want you to just drop five stars on it just so that we can push at the ranks. Um, tell us what you think. And if there's anything that um, you didn't enjoy about the show, then we can, we can work on that um, as well. But hopefully you did enjoy and you'll leave us a great review. Um, we're also out there on Twitter now, and our, uh, we'll drop into the into the show notes. But our Twitter handle is at uh, Podcast Divide. We're also we've got our website up and running, very basic at the moment uh, at thedivide.co.uk. Ben, do you want to tell us about our next show? When's that going to happen? Uh, yeah, so it's um, obviously going to be Christmas uh, between the next two shows. But what we're going to do is record a, a special episode uh, just after Christmas, uh, so it'll be available two weeks from. Uh, this release date on Wednesday, so uh, it'll probably be... This episode should go out on the 16th of December, I yeah. believe. so the next one will go out on the 30th. Uh, we're going to do a special two-hour show on Star Wars. 
so if you are a Star Wars fan, uh, then hopefully you'll already be going to see Episode 7 before then. Uh, but if not, we are going to spoil it for you. So um, <laughs> I, I would advise... It's going to be line by line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're actually going to do a radio screenplay of Star Wars Episode 7 from memory. Uh, no, we're going to talk about all all five films plus the new one um, and some computer <laughs> games and stuff as well. See what I did there. Uh, no, we might include The Phantom Menace. In fact, actually, I, I read a brilliant theory online this week that Jar Jar Binks is The Phantom Menace and was actually <laughs> supposed to be a Sith Lord. Uh, so we'll get into that if you want to hear about that, that in two weeks. We'll put that in the show notes on that episode. Yeah, that's going to be a good episode. So Star Wars in two weeks' time. Great, great stuff. Um, so in the meantime, thanks very much for listening. Don't forget to leave us a uh, sexy review on iTunes and go and pick up a new language today. Cheers! <laughs>